0: This week in my new series, the post-2020 Neo Church, I introduced the new groove, which was Paul's groove, which kind of makes it an old groove, but it's a groove for today's church. Are you ready? Welcome to the Church 2060 Podcast, where we talk about all things church, where we've been, what we've learned, and where we're going. I'm Mike Bruce. Welcome, everybody, to the Church 2060 Podcast. I'm Mike Brewer, and today we have the official episode one of the new series, The Post-2020 Neo Church. If you listened last week, I kind of did an introduction to this new series, this idea of a post-2020 church. And just to give you a little insight of what that means is we are in a moment in history where we've been experiencing decline in the church for a long time, and now we are facing a new challenge We are often meeting in churches that aren't meeting in person, or we're meeting together outside, and what was working well at one point is not working well anymore, and it's time for us to start looking at post-2020. In other words, what is coming immediately next, not just how do we want to see things left in the year 2060, but how do we want to see things, and what do we need to do to be ready for the year 2021? It shows the name Neo church for a few reasons. One, the word neo means a few things, means new or revived, both of which I believe need to be applied to the church. We definitely need a church not that is in revival, but that is revived. We need a church that is new, facing the new challenges, facing the new culture, and to be ready for what that brings. Now, you might be thinking, Mike, I see what you're talking about. Churches are in decline again. We're seeing a problem. We're seeing drive-in services with failing numbers where they used to be great. We're seeing online engagement that once was great just a few months ago. Now is tailing off. What do we do? How do we, Where do we even start to think about this? How do we grow our church and grow it well? And I'm not talking about butts and seats. I'm talking about spiritual growth and evangelism. How do we do that? If you ask me, it's time to start thinking about after 2020 keeping that that mindset that when we come when we get past this when we get when we're able to meet again in our buildings if we don't see the numbers that we thought we should we don't see the engagement we thought we should are we going to be ready for it and i feel like we're sitting in a time even before covid where we're already dealing with the fact that we weren't ready for the culture change as a church and that's what led to where we are now as a church so today, I want to dive into what I'm going to call the new groove, and this isn't a groove I made up. This is a groove that I see in Scripture. This is a groove that I see practiced by Paul. This could also be called Paul's groove, or Paul's new groove, although something that happened 2,000 years ago doesn't sound very new. But what I want to talk about today is a step pro- step-by-step process, right? We've got four easy steps, and we can fix the church. No, I'm just kidding, but there are four things that Paul did, and this list could be made a lot longer, but I'm going to choose these four items that Paul did and the way he did it as a template for how we should probably start, sorry, no, this is how we should start facing this post-2020 culture and start facing the neo-church, start getting used to the idea that we need a revived church with a new approach and a new outlook. So if I could, I'd actually like to get into the book of Acts just a little bit. I'm just going to read some short passages about the Apostle Paul, and we'll go from there. So what I want you to remember about Paul's missionary journeys, he basically had three. And Paul would go town to town preaching the gospel. Paul would develop churches. Paul would raise up leaders. Ultimately, for that all to come crashing to an end when Paul decided to go back to Jerusalem. But let's start here. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 9 and just give a glimpse early on of what was going on in Paul's mind and ministry. Paul had just recently been saved. And Acts chapter 9 verse 19, and I'll just read a few verses, reads like this. It says, Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. Paul was basically a new believer here. The good news is he had an exceptional scriptural background from his upbringing. He was probably one of the guys that had memorized the entire Old Testament. That's not a joke. It probably was one of those people. And that was good because he immediately was able to start putting pieces together and say, this scripture is referring to Jesus. The Jesus I met on the road is this guy in the Old Testament prophecies. This is him. Now, a little more, Paul. Now we're going to go to Acts chapter 16. It says, I'm going to start at verse 1, I'm sorry. It says, Paul first went to Derby, then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left. For everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then he went from town to town, instructing believers to follow decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Here we see a famous guy in the Bible, Timothy, who is a believer, and Paul picks him up and he just takes him with him. And there was a point to that. I mean, Paul is by, by definition, Paul's a disciple maker and a, a leader maker. And he often did this. Grad people take them with him and then put them somewhere. That was Paul. Let's go one more spot. I know I'm just going through this pretty quick, but you'll see where I'm headed soon. As, you, as I'm sure if you listen to this at all, you know you, you eventually pick up where I'm going. Maybe you do. I assume you do. Um, but I'm going to go to Acts chapter 18 real quick. It says, Then Paul, verse 1, left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Now, in this passage, I could easily read quite a bit, uh, because there's so much to do with Priscilla and Aquila in the Bible, even though they seem like small characters. But Paul stayed and worked with Priscilla and Aquila. And we don't get a ton of detail about what he was up to, but Priscilla and Aquila ended up being house church pastors. They also had spent enough time, apparently, with Paul that the two of them were able to school someone else on their preaching. Yeah, there's a story where someone was preaching and Priscilla and Aquila listened to it, and it wasn't quite up to snuff. So they corrected him on his preaching, not to, not to admonish him, but to make him better. These are guys that work with Paul, and that's the kind of stuff they were up to. So what I want to do next is I want to go into what this new groove is and what this new groove should look like and what those steps are, because, again don't want to repeat myself a lot, but as we enter into this season, and we've been here a few months, I understand that, but this season has not stopped. We're seeing a decline from an uptick in the midst of a larger decline and we're headed that direction, and it's important that we pay attention to it and pay attention to what Paul was up to so we can see his process. Now, I understand we were living in a different time. The culture is different. But what I see in what Paul's doing and what I see in what we've been doing as a church, I see huge discrepancies. I see huge incomplete parts. Remember in school? I don't know if you ever did this, but there were times I got an eye on my homework And I don't know if it was because they didn't want to just give me an F, but they'd give me an I because it said incomplete. And sometimes I think that as a church, we deserve a worse grade than we're getting. But the truth is, what we're doing is very incomplete. As we approach 2021, I firmly believe we're going to get through this pandemic process, this crisis, and be able to attempt to do something with the church that's effective and relevant and ready for this culture. But the problem is, if we attempt to do the same thing we've always done, we're going to see increased decline because we refuse to change when we need to change. So post 2020, revived church, the neo-church, that's why we're here. Let's take a quick break to talk about something very important. Are you a church leader that deals with the church's finances? Do you find that a good deal of time is taken up dealing with bookkeeping. It's unavoidable. Between giving, giving statements, bookkeeping, payroll, deductions, direct deposit, your time is precious. It seems like too much time can be swallowed up dealing with these issues while ministry opportunities can be missed. It happens to all of us. Or maybe your situation is one where there just needs to be a change it's a very big deal to have someone who is fully invested and understands the liabilities involved did you know that more money is lost through bad bookkeeping than is spent annually on global missions that's a true story these reasons are why i want to tell you about evermore financial services evermore financial was owned and operated by ministry partners they are both church planters and that matters because they understand the struggle and have come to specialize in handling church finances Evermore Financial offers customizable solutions for all church accounting needs, whether it's online giving, giving statements, payroll, direct deposit, payroll deductions, housing allowance, or even W-2s. Whatever the needs are, the staff at Evermore understands and are ready to help. If this sounds like your needs too, whether it's today or three months from now, we want to talk. Your time is valuable to the kingdom and Evermore Financial is here for you. And did I mention that the owners of Evermore Financial actually do care about the financial success of your ministry? They do, they really do. For your peace of mind, Evermore is invested in current technology to make sure that your convenience, privacy, and security are always a top priority. Through our cloud-based accounting software, you can have immediate and always up-to-date access to any of your accounts from anywhere, anytime. Your peace of mind and accessibility are important to us, so we always want you to have easy access to your books. While we can assist any business that is looking to grow, Evermore Financial Services specializes in nonprofits particularly church planning and operations. Don't just take our word for it. Check out this testimonial from a local church. Evermore Financial Services continues to be a fantastic partner of ours. Not only are they consummate professionals in all of their interactions, but they provide us with a personal touch in helping us to manage and plan our financial strategy. Their attention to detail is a strong point in their process, and they are incredibly proactive, helping us to anticipate and plan for financial events. Their integrity is impeccable. If you have a church, nonprofit, or a small business, that could benefit from a financial supporter, you would be well-served to partner with Evermore Financial Services. If it sounds like this could be a fit for your needs, let me know. If you're thinking that this might be a need down the road, we want to hear from you. We get it. If you have any questions or you're ready to talk, email me. I am mike at evermorefs.com. That's mike at E-V-E-R-M-O-R-E-F-S dot We're looking forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, check us out at evermorefs.com. Dot com. It's time to take a look at four things that Paul did in the book of Acts as the church was being formed, and take a look at those four things and see how we can apply them to our cultural context now, because I believe they all can, and this is something that we need to do as we try and move forward with the post-2020 neo-church. Okay, I'm going to read through all the four of these, and then I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about each one of them. Uh, number one, preaching the gospel, number two, forming biblical communities, number three, making disciples, and number four, raising up and sending out leaders. Now, those all sound very simple, but the problem is, as a church today, we tend to do one or two of those very well, and then that's where we stop. Hence the reason why we continue to see decline, as well as the fact that we continue to to not try our best to engage the culture we're in and expect the culture to change for us. So, number one, preaching the gospel. We just read a little while ago, as soon as Paul became a believer, he started preaching the gospel. And I understand that is a unique situation because Paul was Paul. Paul had the background, the conversion, and the story like we don't have. But as a church, foundationally, number one, we need to be preaching the gospel. I understand there's a lot of things we can talk about that are relevant, but preaching the gospel has to be number one it has to be our foundation and our starting point it's one of those things if you say you're planting a church and you're not preaching the gospel you're missing you're missing the mark you're already you're already off course and you wonder why church plants fail within six out of ten of them fail within the first five years okay i don't want to get off track there but number one preaching the gospel has to be the foundation for everything we do number two Forming biblical communities. Now, this sounds a little bit different than what we're used to because this is the anti-Sunday morning church service. We believe we're a community. We call our church a community, but what do we do on Sunday mornings? We go in. We maybe talk a little bit, shake some hands, get some coffee, maybe have a donut. But then we go in, we sit down, face forward, sing a few songs, hear a message, and leave. Maybe talk a little bit more, but it's not real community. What Paul did as he set up these house churches going town to town is he developed community, as well as taking people with him. There was never a time where anybody was going at it alone. Now today, when I think about building biblical communities, I think there's several ways we can accomplish that. Number one, the easiest way is small groups. Three or four or five or six or up to ten people to get together in a smaller group, reading scripture together, praying together, doing life together, even though I think that's a, a terrible phrase. Spending a few hours a week with someone is not doing life, but... You are developing community that way. When you can discuss the scripture or discuss a message you heard and pray about it together and figure out what God's trying to teach you together, engaged, because the crowd is small enough to where you can engage with each other and then knowing what's going on in people's lives and being able to pray for them. That's community. Another way is through what the model we're seeing now of the house church. 15, 20 people gathered into a home. Hearing a short message, having discussion, breaking off into smaller groups, having more discussion, having a chance to one-on-one pray with somebody else, pray for somebody else. Take communion together in those homes. Work together to find things that you can tithe to. and I'm not just talking about the local church. I'm talking about taking on projects like making sure that kids who don't have water in foreign countries have water or making sure that kids in the town you're in have food when they go to school for lunch, or have food when they go home. Those kind of things build community. Reading the scripture together, praying together, praying for each other, knowing what's going on in someone's life, working together for some common good, that's biblical community. It's hard to do those things on Sunday morning. And I'm not saying we don't need Sunday morning. I'm saying we need community. We need to build that community. It's not going to build itself. It's not going to handle itself. In my opinion, a lot of people don't go to church because they don't see any value in it. They go in, they leave. They don't really get to know anybody. They get a lot of people that say hi or shake their hand, and they can find where the coffee is. But when somebody needs community, when someone needs to be engaged with one-on-one and to have a relationship develop with them, it's much easier to do that in a small setting. I've seen new believers and non-believers grow in their faith in smaller settings far more than I ever have on a Sunday morning service. It's just just real. Someone's more likely to come to your house than they are to a Sunday morning service in a church full of people that they don't know. They don't want to be the lab rat or the the specimen that everybody comes and talks to and hangs out with for a few minutes and then sends you on your way. It's just much easier. And this is part of what I always say. People tell me, Mike, I can't just go up to a stranger and share my faith. I'm not built like that. And I say, okay, great. Let's talk about how many people are already in your life that you're friends with or acquaintances with that you haven't shared your faith with there they're there. These people are there in your life, in your circles, and it's going to be far easier for you to say, hey, why don't you come over to my house? I'm having some people over. We'll eat. I want to talk about some, you know, talk about scripture. It'll be, you know, they're more likely to go to that than they are Sunday morning service because they know you. They know it's informal. It's worth pursuing because I believe people are looking for community, not just a Sunday morning show. Okay, let's keep it moving. Making disciples. I talk about this all the time. Number one, we have to be willing to be discipled. And number two, as church leaders, we have to be engaged in intentional discipleship. I don't care if it's one-on-one. I don't care if you have a group of people that you take through it yourself. But they need to be experiencing what it's like to be biblically discipled. And we don't have to overcomplicate that. We don't need nine marks of a disciple or 12 attributes of a disciple and try to teach them through that. We can simply teach them with scripture how to live like Jesus lived and how to do what Jesus did and teach them to spend time with Jesus every day, just like the 12 disciples did in the New Testament. It's that simple, but it has to be intentional. Number four, raise up and send out leaders. This is a piece that even if most places get one through three correct, they're missing number four. And what happens when you don't do this is you can oftentimes have a church that gets older and you're looking for those new leaders, but they never show up. And they never just materialize without intentionality. Paul spent his time raising up leaders, putting churches together, taking people with him. We have to do that as a church. We have to be prepared for tomorrow's leadership. We also have to be prepared for, as we expand the kingdom, as we plant biblical communities, plant churches... We have to have leaders ready for that. If there are no leaders, there are no churches. There are no new churches. You cannot just build it and expect people to show up. This is not Field of Dreams, okay? We need biblical leaders. We need godly men and women to step into those leadership roles so that we can expand the kingdom, so that we can multiply. It has to be there. And I know this list sounds simple, but this is what Paul was up to. Paul's wake when he was finished was a functioning church church. Church is town to town, living in community, sharing the gospel, making disciples, being discipled, creating new leaders to go do it some more. Paul didn't stop, and the church stopped with him. Paul did these things and trained other people to do them too. That's why the church is here in the way we see it. So in the year 2021... I know I always talk about 2060, but I think in order for us to get to 2060, we need to start talking about the year 2021 because we are in an extremely unique situation right now, and business as usual is not going to answer the questions. Business as usual is not going to address the problems. We need to be preaching the gospel, whatever that looks like. If that's one-on-one with people you already know, one-on-one with people we already know and that are in our circles, great. Great. If it's in a house church, in a biblical community, great. The Sunday morning, great. But it has to be done. Biblical communities, in my history, more growth has come from these smaller one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-five. These relationships, these moments, these intentional discipleship moments happening all the time, throughout, happening through the week, happening in one gathering, that's where the real growth has come from. We have to have it. If we want the church in 2021 to reflect something other than the decline that it's been experiencing for the last 20, 30, 40 years, we have to be willing to change what we do. And I believe if we simply modeled what Paul did, not try to make up our own story, not try to say, well, we decided that on Sunday mornings we're going to go this route and that should take care of it. We need to create community. When we expand, we need to stop worrying about having the new, shiniest, best building we can just meet in somebody's home. We can share the gospel. We can pray together. We can love one another. We can take communion. It can happen. And I believe if we start doing these things right now, we can be prepared for what's next. We can be prepared for next year. It's the same in business or in our finances, right? If I want to be prepared for retirement, I start saving right now, or I should have started saving 20 years ago. Instead, now we find ourselves in a place where we didn't change when we should have started changing and we're seeing decline. But now we have a new route we can take. We have a new groove. We can put ourselves in that groove now to avoid the pitfalls that we keep finding ourselves in. Paul preached the gospel. Paul formed biblical communities. Paul was always making disciples. And Paul was always raising up and sending out leaders. We have a new groove. Let's face 2021 already prepared and already in the new groove. This has been the Church 2060 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe, and you will be notified when new episodes drop. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I am at Church2060 online. And until next time, may hope and peace be with you.